Hello, this is Chris Masterjohn, and today we'll be mapping niacin on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on how to use the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be talking with Chris Masterjohn for a special two-part deep dive into niacin. Chris earned his PhD in nutritional sciences from the University of Connecticut in the summer of 2012. He served as a postdoctoral research associate in the Comparative Biosciences Department of the College of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign and as assistant professor of health and nutrition sciences at Brooklyn College, part of the City University of New York. He now works independently, producing educational content about nutrition. Let's dive in and begin this information-packed discussion. Chris, welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. Thank you so much, Andrew. It's great to be here. I'm super excited to talk to you. As I was telling you, I've been a fan of your work for a long time now, and there's so many different topics that I would love to talk to you about. And today we're choosing one of them, and that's niacin. So I'm wondering if you could start us out just by talking about what niacin is, what it does in the body, particularly for practitioners who may be thinking about using it in practice. Niacin is vitamin B3. And it does a handful of things. Niacin is used to make NAD and NADPH. NAD and NADPH are universal in energy metabolism. NAD, or often called NAD+, is involved in oxidative reactions that break things down. Mm -hmm. And NADPH is involved in reductive reactions that build things up or recycling things. So you're using NAD plus to break all your food down for energy, whether it's protein, fat, or carbohydrates, breaking it down requires NAD plus. You're using NADPH to defend yourself against oxidative stress as an example in recycling glutathione, which is the master antioxidant of the cell. You use it to recycle nutrients. So folate, for example, many steps in folate metabolism, including making the methyl group of methylfolate, which is ultimately going to support a whole other process called methylation that you know practitioners are probably at least somewhat familiar with. Absolutely. NADPH is playing a role in numerous steps in folate metabolism. NADPH is needed to recycle vitamin K. Vitamin K is famous for blood clotting, but it's also needed to support putting calcium into the right places like your bones and teeth and keeping it out of bad places like causing kidney stones or contributing to cardiovascular disease. And vitamin K also plays lesser known roles. For example, it's involved in making a hormone that your bones produce called osteocalcin, which is necessary for fertility, insulin sensitivity, insulin production, and utilization of energy while you exercise. Vitamin K is playing a role in myelin synthesis. It probably plays a 
very poorly recognized role in the electron transport chain, in fact, and there's a ton of vitamin K in the cell is actually found in the mitochondria where you would expect it to be were it participating in the electron transport chain. And the structure of vitamin K is very similar to that of coenzyme Q10. So it's possible that someday those little textbook figures that show where CoQ10 is playing a role in energy metabolism, there'll be a little added little bubble for vitamin K in there. All those functions of vitamin K are all dependent on niacin because you need NADPH to recycle it. NADPH is also going to be involved in building neurotransmitters, cholesterol, fatty acids, nucleotides, and in fact, even NAD plus and NADPH require NADPH to be synthesized because just all the players in energy metabolism are requiring energy to be built up. And then in addition to the roles in energy metabolism, NAD plus is irreversibly hydrolyzed and broken down in three key areas. One is in DNA repair. The other is in lengthening telomeres, telomeres Mm -hmm. at the ends of your chromosomes that are thought to be needed to be continually lengthened in order to prevent your cells from running out of the ability to keep replicating as you age. And it is also irreversibly hydrolyzed in neurotransmitter release. Mm. So every time you release a neurotransmitter, which is like many times a second, uh, you're irreversibly hydrolyzing NAD+. When you do that, so in energy metabolism, you're just transferring electrons back and forth. So NADH got to get recycled. NAD+, you know, goes back and forth between NADH. You're not using up the niacin. In those three processes, DNA repair, telomere lengthening, and neurotransmitter release, you are irreversibly hydrolyzing the NAD+. You're not adding electrons or taking them away. You're breaking down that molecule. Mm -hmm. And you break it down into nicotinamide. Now, nicotinamide, first of all, nicotinamide has a negative feedback loop with all three processes. So if you generate nicotinamide, the nicotinamide will inhibit the enzymes involved in telomere lengthening, DNA repair, and neurotransmitter release. That's extremely common theme in biology is that if you're making something, the thing you're making will probably inhibit the making of it because you don't want it to build up too much. There's a risk of nicotinamide accumulation. Mm. One is that if you don't get rid of it, you'll inhibit all those essential processes. Right. The other is that when you do get rid of it, you get rid of it through methylation. Mm. And you know, before I mentioned that you need NADPH right. to recycle folate to support methylation, <laughs> yes. uh, yet um, you will sap methyl groups by using them to detoxify nicotinamide if you don't clear away that nicotinamide. So the ideal thing for you to do with that nicotinamide is to recycle it back to NAD+. And there's basically this constant battle where if you hydrolyze NAD+, to nicotinamide, you will try to make it into NAD plus as quickly as you can, but whatever you don't clear, that's a liability to inhibit all those enzymes. So you will clear it with methylation if you can't make NAD plus from it. And for this reason, there's a lot of interest in alternatives to the normal nutritional supplements of niacin. So niacin or nicotinic acid and niacinamide, also known as nicotinamide, are the two main forms of niacin that are used in supplements. Right. Uh, there are some others that are derivatives of that, but it's just those two are basically it. And then new kids on the block are nicotinamide mononucleotide and, and nicotinamide riboside, NMN and NR. The interest in those is that those are halfway up the ladder between hmm. nicotinamide and NAD+. And so if you eat nicotinamide or you eat nicotinic acid, which becomes nicotinamide, you are faced with this choice of you got to get rid of that really fast or you'll methylate it and get right. rid of it that way. If you take NMN or NR, you cannot methylate it 
until you make NAD plus, hydrolyze NAD plus to nicotinamide, and then you can methylate it, right? So most niacin, when it comes in, faces this al two alternatives. Either right. you methylate it or you make NAD plus. Hmm. Those have to make NAD plus. Like, you can't do anything else with them. And so they're better at generating NAD plus, and they're somewhat less taxing on the methylation system because you are guaranteed to go to NAD plus before you go anywhere else. Understanding that biochemistry is really important. And I love that there's a web of interconnections at that biochemical level. When we're thinking through a clinical lens, it seems like we all need the niacin, of course, it's part of these pathways, but are there people who are actually deficient in niacin or are they just metabolizing it incorrectly? How would you quantify that? There's a few ways to look at that question. First of all, you know, it's like, what do you mean by deficient? You right. might mean just you need more or you might mean that you have pellagra. And mm. so classically, pellagra is the severe form of niacin deficiency. And pellagra is, you know, there's probably people with pellagra that are unrecognized, but it's, it's nowhere near as common as it used to be. So pellagra was common when diets in the southern United States were based on corn. Columbus came over and he found natives using corn. He spread the use of corn, but he did not spread the process of nixtamalization, which is soaking the corn in an alkaline medium, which frees the niacin. And so corn, if you just eat unprocessed corn, and actually this is true of all grains, but corn is particularly bad, like well over 90% of the niacin is unavailable. And then you can make niacin from protein from the amino acid tryptophan, but in these southern diets that were based on unprocessed corn, they were also very low in protein. And those people were getting dietary pellagra. Mm -hmm. Their diet was just so weak in supporting niacin status that they got severe pellagra. And pellagra, optimists have a mnemonic for it, the three Ds, and pessimists have a mnemonic for it, the four Ds. <laughs> the three Ds of pellagra are dermatitis, right. dementia, and diarrhea. The fourth D that the pessimists throw in there is death. And that's mm -hmm. because if you don't treat it in time, pellagra yep. is fatal. These Ds are like, they're useful as a mnemonic, but they're actually kind of confusing from the perspective of actually knowing what they mean. Because for example, the dementia, if I say dementia, just in general, what do you think of? What's a word association that pops up? Alzheimer's. The dementia of pellagra, actually in the early stages, it's just depression. Mm-hmm. Right. And in fact, depression starts with D too. They could have used that. But when it gets bad, it progresses into schizophrenia-like psychosis. It can also progress into suicidality as well. And in fact, pellagra schizophrenia is extremely difficult to tell apart from run-of-the-mill schizophrenia. And there's been a lot of efforts to treat run-of-the-mill schizophrenia with niacin that haven't been very successful. But what's interesting is schizophrenics like run-of-the-mill schizophrenics and their family members are immune or tend to be immune to the niacin flush from high-dose niacin supplements even though niacin therapy doesn't really treat run-of-the-mill schizophrenia there probably is something that we need to research that is an underlying difference in niacin metabolism that is a fundamental cause of run-of-the-mill schizophrenia exactly something at the pathophysiology that exists for that individual that could have to do with their metabolism and even their methylation so the flush of niacin is specific to nicotinic acid is, mm -hmm. and is not methylation related, mm -hmm. but who knows, right? Like it, it, uh, 
I, I have no idea what the defect in that metabolism is, so it could be almost anything. It would just have to be something that reduces either the circulating nicotinic acid levels by diverting it into some pathway more quickly, or maybe is related to the receptor that nicotinic acid is acting on with a reduced sensitivity there. I don't know. To go back to things that we actually know, the schizophrenia-like psychosis of pellagra is cured within minutes of consuming wow. niacin or high-quality food. And so that's an easy way to tell it apart. The thing is, if you just spend a lot of time in, uh, where are you based out of? I'm in Portland, Oregon. Okay, so if you spend some time in my place, New York City, right? Actually, it's probably <laughs> true in Portland. Probably, probably true in Portland. Like, there's some weird people in Portland, right? <laughs> we well, keep it just, weird. If you just spend some time in New York City, like, yeah. you see people who are pretty crazy all over the place, right. right? And a lot of these people just wind up either they they walk around on the street and they never find anyone, or they wind up in a mental institution mm. and. If they wind up in a mental institution, they're not getting a comprehensive nutritional screening and no one's measuring their erythrocyte NAD, I right. assure you that. And so there's probably a lot of people who are really crazy and who are just locked up and institutionalized who appear to have schizophrenia, but they don't have run-of-the-mill schizophrenia. They have pellagra schizophrenia right. because – I assure you that the random crazy person on the street in New York City is not eating a very good diet. There are people who in the United States and modern society right here and now who are at risk of actual pellagra. Those are people with mm. Hartnup's disease, which is mm. a genetic disorder of tryptophan metabolism. People with Crohn's disease and mm. megaduodenum can sometimes have malabsorption that's so bad that they'll right. get pellagra. Mm -hmm. People with serotonin-producing tumors mm. that are known as carcinoid tumors have tryptophan diverted away away from niacin production towards serotonin production, mm -hmm. they can get pellagra. And there are drugs that impair niacin synthesis that's mainly isoniazid and anti-tuberculosis medication, imuran and 6-mercaptopurine, which are immunosuppressives, and 5-fluorouracil, which is used in anti-cancer. And get this, levodopa and carbidopa used for mm. Parkinson's disease. Wow. And then alcohol. Whoa. <laughs> so, so alcoholics, like alcoholics can have every vitamin deficiency because if they're really bad alcoholics, they often don't eat. Alcohol interferes with so many different B vitamin metabolisms. Let's take a break from the conversation and Chris and I will pick up next week in episode 103, where we'll continue our discussion about niacin. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. The 15-Minute Matrix team includes music by my son, Gilbert Nakayama, and Carla Schaefer on sound production, as well as Renee Hunt, Natalie Merrill, and Christine Shook. You can visit us and hear more episodes at 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified each time there's a new podcast episode, please go to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. We'll be sure to drop into your inbox with a short reminder that a new episode is ready for you. You have an open invitation to email us. We want to know who you'd like to hear on the podcast and what you'd like to see mapped on the 15-Minute Matrix. You can always email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com. 